Hello, welcome to The Ripple, a podcast diving into Clojure programs and libraries. This week, I'm talking about making things in Clojure with Derek Troy West, the creator of Operator.io. Welcome to the show, Derek. Kia ora, Dan. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, good to have you on. And good to have someone from this part of the world for a change. You and I both worked together five or six years ago now, I think. We did. It feels like an age. Yeah. And since then, we've been off doing different things, but I've kept in touch with you and been interested to sort of see what you've been working on. And one of the reasons why we're talking today is Operator is a new service that you've created. So do you want to start off by talking a little bit about what that is and why it's interesting to Clojure people? Yeah, sure. Thanks very much, Dan. So Operator is a tool for Apache Kafka that allows you to observe, explore, and control stream and compute. So in slightly more practical terms, it's uh, effectively a Docker container that clips onto a Kafka cluster and immediately starts snapshotting and computing telemetry about that cluster and presenting them to you in a sort of a rich data-oriented UI. And it does more than metrics. It also provides you insight into the all of the configuration of the brokers and topics. And basically any datum that Kafka provides to you, we surface it in the UI. And also we allow you to mutate the cluster. You can add and remove ACLs and perform other actions on the cluster. But I think primarily it's, um, and you can inspect data on topics and it integrates with the schema registry and all sorts of things for people who are aware of cluster uh, Kafka and using Kafka every day, that'll mean something to them. (laughs) Most importantly, it's a tool. It's a very small surface area that clings close to Kafka. And you can um, deploy it behind firewalls. It doesn't dial home or anything like that. Get it up and running in a couple of minutes. And I think primarily it's interesting to Clojureists because it's written entirely in Clojure. So the the back end is a streaming compute system that uses Kafka and nothing else and the front end and, and Clojure. And the front end is a Clojure script front end. So this is really the culmination of about a decade of work in of my team and I in um, in distributed systems and Clojure that uh, we built the tool that we always needed for working with Kafka. Great. So Confluent, of course, the, who are sort of the commercial backers of Kafka, mm-hmm. have tools as well. So how does this fit in with that? Where would you pick one over the other? Yeah, so obviously um, Confluent are a company filled with enormous talent and they're the, the original engineers behind Kafka when it was built at at LinkedIn. The heart of the Confluent platform, I think it's fair to say, is open source Apache Kafka, and that's our focus. So I think that Operator is quite likely complementary to uh, the Confluent platform. It works in a slightly limited sense with Confluent Cloud. So we test regularly against Amazon MSK, which is Amazon's open source mm-hmm. managed Kafka product. We um, we test against uh, Instacluster, who provide a suite of pretty solid managed Kafka and Cassandra and other distributed tooling and our Confluent Cloud. So the only thing with Confluent Cloud is there's one particular type of telemetry that we can't get access to, and that's um, something to do with uh, disk. So there's a few metrics in Confluent Cloud that we can't show you, whereas with the other managed offerings we can. But largely, I think it's complementary. And beyond that, to be honest, I, I actually haven't used Confluent myself. I'm obviously aware of some of the products that they they have. We uh, we run a um, Kafka workshop called uh, 
Apache Kafka three ways. And we the fourth way is actually vendor tools. We do some stuff with KSQL, which is a really interesting mm-hmm. product from Confluent. But uh, yeah, I'm not entirely sure. I think they've got a product called Control Center, which sits in a similar space. But my expectation with Confluent is that they have a very big enterprise plan for how you should work with Kafka. Operator is tiny. It's a two-minute install clip onto Kafka that tries to fill a gap with open source Apache Kafka. That, that There's a gap that my team and my clients have come across again and again and again. And actually, one thing I should point out is that in a technical sense, Operator doesn't use any of Kafka's JMX metrics. It computes all of its own telemetry from snapshots regular snapshots of the cluster. So mm-hmm. in some sense, it may be not appropriate for some people who are interested in very, very continuous sort of telemetry like Kafka provides itself. But then in another sense, we calculate telemetry that Kafka doesn't provide out of the box. So we have, if you're aware of how Kafka works, you're quite often concerned about back pressure and lag on topics, which we could talk more about if you like. And um Kafka will tell you a sort of a histogram of lag per consumer group. We slice and dice that, and we can tell you the lag by the consumer group, the consumer group member assignment, the host that is hosting the consumer group members, and so on and so forth. So we're sort of Uh... off the deep end in terms of if your business owner comes to you and says, why is it taking seven minutes for someone to get an email about something, you know, a notification or something from the the product that you've built for a business, you really want to be able to find out what the root cause of that lag is as quickly as possible. And it might be that a broker is underperforming that's hosting most of the partitions for a topic that your consumer group is reading. And you can find that with operator within a couple of clicks, as opposed to being deep in shell scripts and bastion nodes and the sort of traditional (laughs) sense of how we manage Kafka. (laughs) So that's the gap that we fill yeah, you know, not that we we all love shell scripts and Bastion nodes, but and so we've got that real time telemetry that we compute. But we also have snapshot data, which is, you know, you can see the current offset reads per second, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, right down to a topic partition level. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like, um, you know, a laser beam. It's a love story to Apache Kafka, really, because it's it's all the work that we've been doing over the years. So you mentioned before, I'm not sure if people caught this, but this is itself built on top of Kafka. So operator monitors Kafka, but it's also the data storing and working with Kafka as its own compute sort of substrate. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, and this is something you'll recall from when we worked together, um, Dan, uh, many years ago, we were working on a system where the, the source of ingress for the system was Apache Kafka. And then um, all of that data went through Apache Storm, which is a distributed computation Mm -hmm. platform, and into Cassandra. And that's really the fulcrum of the speciality of my consultancy now and my team is scale and availability. It's a question that comes up often in our community. You know, we have clients in Melbourne who have products already and they say we want them to scale and be available. And the common answer to that really is uh, distribution and the way that we achieve that on the JVM today, the most accessible way is with Apache Kafka. It's a phenomenal programming model for building scalable, available systems. And um, the very best language for building those systems is Clojure for a number of reasons. And that's how we build systems. So when we built Operator, it's uh, Operator itself is a Kafka Streams compute application that is 
highly available and linearly scalable. You could run, if you're one of our clients who's in fintech working with banks and you have a production system where your Kafka clusters split between three AZs, you might choose to run three operators because that's uh, how you run HA systems. Right. Sorry, I, f- <laughs> I might have stumped no. you a little there, but um, no, that's basically good. there's nothing else to operator other than Kafka and Clojure, broadly speaking, and a handful of dependencies, as few as possible. Other than that, it's all just banging on data with functions, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what we all want to do, really, isn't it? That's uh, it's the, There's truth in that. Yeah, I agree. I was working on some code uh, the other day, and I'd been sort of just sort of, you know, powering through the mud of like interop and production and like, you know, just the stuff that you have to do, the real world stuff. And I was thinking it's been a long time since I've like, you know, long time being a week or two since I've got to write like, <laughs> you know, like a, a good like data transformation function. And I wrote like a little dissociate if nil function. I was like, oh yeah, that's the stuff. Like that's that closure sweet spot of data, you know, just operating on pure data, data structures that, that feels so good. That's it, isn't it? Really, I think you know. I'm I'm not sure how your progression as a um, closure enthusiast and, and professional has gone, but for me, it's really been a steep unlearning curve. I think <laughs> I've progressively given up on dogmatic bad behaviour that I picked up through a 15 years of enterprise Java development, and now literally, I'm just um, you know sitting out there in the open, banging on data with functions and having a thoroughly good time. Yeah. <laughs> And that's the the real power of closure. Really, is the host interop, isn't it? Really, it's you can create phenomenal things and leverage the JVM or the browser, and operator does both. Mm-hmm. And the, that power of data oriented simplicity. We have uh, just the other day, I moved some functions from the being computed in the browser to the JVM, and uh, well, I didn't really even move them because they're CLJC files. I just called them from a different place because I chose <laughs> to do that computation. <laughs> on the back end rather than the front end. And so there's one other thing I should do as I'm sort of um, ruthlessly selling operator to everybody or dear listeners out there is to say that uh, you can use it today. You can get it up and running in a couple of minutes. There's an unlimited free trial until mid-December. And also the one of the beauties of working in Clojure is we build a simulation first. So if you want to see what operator looks like without having any cost or consequence to yourself, just go to demo.operator.io and there's an entire simulated Kafka cluster running in your browser with all of the functionality of the front end right there. It's a full operator system, more or less. We build that for ourselves, for how for our development flow. We live code on that when we're putting functionality into the front end without having to have the rigmarole of running even a dockerized Kafka in the background. And then it just felt natural just to... Um, compile it and put it up online so as we progressively build out features you can you can sort of play with the live operating system nice uh, yeah I, and so yeah I, it's phenomenal the the um, ease that closure brings to everyday development we're really only inhibited by our own potentially terrible ideas dan we're, <laughs> we're not, the, the tools don't get in the way at all it's liberating it's wonderful I, closure has been uh it saved my career in software engineering, I think. I don't know where I'd be without it right now. I can't imagine. Yeah, you wrote this a few months ago now on Twitter, which I, I really liked, and I've, I've sort of come back to it a few times, uh, thought about it. So I'll, I'll read it here so people 
you know what I'm talking about. Oh dear, I put some terrible no, things. Oh, it's good. <laughs> I write closure almost every day on the JVM and the browser, always with cursive. It's a joy That's to work with. Perhaps you've considered using closure, but the benefits were not clear or the apologia did not resonate. Have I pronounced that right? Neither did they resonate with me when my colleagues at UBS first mentioned the language to me in 2011. Homoeconicity, no clue, don't care. Mm-hmm. After eight years of closure development, the benefits are precisely clear to me in terms of productivity, ability, and clarity. Discussions of language ephemera still don't resonate, so let me share a sporting analogy instead. I like to play golf. <laughs> I've owned two sets of golf clubs in 20 years. My first set of clubs are a reasonable grade, and I still have a fondness for them. I hit balls with them for 12 years, often into the trees, unfortunately. Eight years ago, I bought a new set of clubs. I had a fitting session where I tried a few out, and closure just felt right. When I hit golf balls, I'm concerned about how the club weight feels in the hand, what the impact feels like, how the ball flies. And then some people care deeply about the construction of golf clubs, shaft materials, head shapes. They take enjoyment from talking about the minutia of club design. Fewer people have the craft to manufacture clubs and it can be hard to tell the two apart. I prefer to hit golf balls, usually to hit some with closure. You'll come to appreciate the sweet simplicity, I'm sure. And that last bit about the difference between golf club crafters and enthusiasts and and hitters I, I i saw myself there um, a little bit i was like oh am i someone who just enjoys talking about the minutiae of club design when i'm not really a club maker so uh, i apologize if my twitter thread was just a little bit too saucy no, and it wasn't nothing no no slights intended it's actually just that there is a variety of enthusiasts in closure and I think one of the aspects of closure is that it's a really unique and interesting language. So if you're interested in in language design, it's going to really attract quite a lot of people. And there's nothing, you know, there's nothing, no shade cast about people who are interested in, in language design. I'm actually just not qualified. I It took me a long time for the benefits of closure to really sink into the way I work. I don't get much out of reading articles about closure or uh, anything I get a lot out of writing code and, and reading code and delivering systems. But certainly there's a, a real commentariat, I guess, in, in the closure community that toy with ideas and sometimes, I think sometimes it's fair to say, cross a few bounds and be a bit rude. But oftentimes are just really enthusiastic about the language. But that's not me. I like to deliver code. I'm really only interested in hitting golf balls because that's what we do, right? We're programmers. That's What's the point of having the best golf clubs in the world if you don't get them out of the bag and strike a ball? <laughs> and what do programmers love more than a good sporting analogy? So there you go. Yeah. And so, you know, Operator is kind of the, the distillation of your Kafka work, but you've also worked with, you know, a number of other clients, I guess, you know, picking up things and learning things. So is there anything there right. that you can, you know, pearls of wisdom? Yeah. So um, we, I think it's it goes to the, the health of, Closure is a programming language. You often hear um, the whales on the internet of uh, doom and gloom. But in my experience in eight years, it's overwhelmingly positive with my colleague, James Sofra, has been running the Closure community in Melbourne. He's a, a real gentleman. He's been running the Closure community here for about 10 years. And, you know, he'll tell you as much as I do that it's really gone from strength to strength. It's grown. And many of those companies that use Closure today are our clients. But we're not often the cause of them adopting closure or James may be obliquely because he tends to introduce a lot of people to the language through the meetup that he runs and the work that he does in the community. But 
you know, primarily there's, as anywhere, there's a, a group of really interested technical people. Some of them see closure. Some of them like hitting golf balls with it. They get great responsiveness from it, and they go and take it to their companies. And we have worked in the last four years with everyone from engineering firms to telcos to utility companies to fintechs to startup banks, all in closure. And, you know, there's the a lot of positivity in that community and it's it's growing it's a bigger community today than it was uh, certainly 8 years ago and there's some very positive stories in melbourne you know from startups to massive companies that are really great cultures that just have teams of people enjoying closure every day and and delivering code so i think it's a really positive place to be nice and and a nice you know just a generally nice city to live in as well i think it's not so bad, you know. It's got its good coffee. I'm um, I'm I'm off to the closure con shortly uh-huh. next week, and um, I'm always, you know, that's how I really put destinations through the ringer. By I'll go and or try and order a magic somewhere and see if I just get a completely puzzled response. It's, it's, I think it's a Melbourne thing. Yeah, you'd get a puzzled response from me too with that. <laughs> uh, it's just a very. Um, hipster way of ordering a coffee okay so, yeah I'll, I'll look i'll accept a flat white so no melbourne is a nice city uh-huh. <laughs> and so i know you're talking at uh, the conj as well so what's what's your talk going to be about so um the talk is really a deep dive into operator it's called product development enclosure follow the data because that exhortation to follow the data, to really stick close to the data is something that uh, has taken me a long time to feel comfortable doing because I come from a, um, a long career in preemptively categorizing things. I think that's how I describe object modeling today. You know, it's a very human condition to see something and, and immediately categorize it. The thing that distributed systems have taught me, Dan, is that it's all about the data. If you're focused on an object model and you're working with Kafka or Cassandra, you're probably oriented in the wrong direction because primarily we have to think of our read paths first, which means denormalizing all of our data predominantly. And it means that we're more concerned about the characteristics of our data, data locality, durability, all sorts of things like that. We're not really concerned about some interpretation of that data or categorization of that data. Mm-hmm. And it's a hard thing to let go of, actually. The thought that the first thing we should do is try and find some domain-driven approach to building out the system. The, the hard truth of Kafka and Cassandra is they're just not optimized for that sort of process. You have to build systems that work in affinity with the realities of how they work, which is all about partitions, semantic partitioning, and not pre-computing your views. So the simple, simple idea behind Kafka is of a log and a mutable sequence. And Kafka also provides the concept of a map to us and a mutable map in K-tables. And then really the programmatic model for Kafka is all about functional composition, that operates on those immutable data structures because that's inherently distributable. And that's the whole reason that we use Kafka is to distribute so that we get scale and availability. But those basic constructs, right, an immutable sequence and immutable map, mm-hmm. functional composition, it all sounds very familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> because they're the same basic fundamental ideas behind closure. And we'll touch on that a little bit in the talk and then really pick apart operator and enumerate 
all of the ways, and there are many, that closure facilitates and provides leverage in terms of delivery. So we'll do a little bit of live coding, most likely, and literally follow the data. We'll have some data come out of a broker over the network into the JVM, into some nebulous streaming compute that does some enormous value add, mm -hmm. which is where why people will pay for operator, and then off into the browser. And I think the thing I really want to demonstrate is that there's no incidental complexity there. If you just focus on data and functions, you can achieve an enormous amount. And you can certainly, I mean, I used to write a lot. You've probably seen some closure that I wrote, mm. Dan, that was um, that was basically just Java and closure, right? That's how I started working with closure because that's all I knew. Looking to recreate a very spring sort of protocol-driven style, which is fine. Mm. The great thing about closure is you can deliver systems like that, and, and I certainly did for a long time. But progressively, I've just sort of given up on a lot of those ideas. And now I find myself just... Um, Wailing on data with functions most of the time. <laughs> it's great. It's wonderful. You get enormous leverage. Yeah. So something you mentioned was back pressure. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And like this is, you know, just like an inherent part of the problem of dealing with computers. And oftentimes it can be tempting to just sort of push it under the rug and say, well, I'll just let Kafka like soak all of that back pressure up. But that doesn't always end end very well. What have you seen, seen go wrong with that approach? What, would be... <laughs> <laughs> what have I seen go wrong? How long do we have, Dan? Will we, um, can we extend this? Yeah. I'll just give you a straight monotone for the next, uh, no. We don't write bugs, Dan. We write um, quality and delivery is the hallmark of uh, mm -hmm. Troy West, the consultancy. So look, all systems can be described in terms of their constraints, right? And what they're seeking to achieve. And when we do the Kafka Three Ways workshop, which we've run all around Australia with different companies, what we're really trying to introduce um, teams to is first, the understanding that Kafka isn't just a message broker. It's a streaming compute platform. It's a programmatic model for building systems that are scale and are available. However, that comes with trade-offs and constraints. And if you don't want to accept those, you should probably just continue building systems as you are. So it's not that everybody should use Kafka, although it certainly is the fact today that there's an overwhelming economic pressure. But there's just enterprises left, right, and center adopting it. Chuck it in there. But once you've built a system using Kafka, it does start to push a real paradigm shift on you in terms of how you consider your systems. And they really become much more event-driven much more data oriented. You're much more concerned about the finite state machine that represents the system. And and really, as I've said before, you're achieving scale and availability through distribution. And that comes with a trade-off. And the trade-off is that you're introducing unbounded queues everywhere, effectively, called topics. They've got no limit to their capacity. And so immediately you have a potential issue with back pressure in that, you know, one part of your program that you've written, which is actually a a topology, which is distributed and executed, might be run on different machines. It's communicating with another part of your program via an unbounded queue. And if one part of your program is operating a bit quicker than the other, you're going to have a back pressure problem where you fall further and further behind. And it, obviously, it's much more complicated than that because no systems operate at a standard rate. You have spikes in um, throughput mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. And really, it just comes out in a system that is unpredictable. And 
with Kafka, it's not quite so bad. With Cassandra, which is an order of magnitude more complicated than Kafka, really, if you it's a slightly different question than back pressure, it's a different trade-off to do with the distribution of data. But you can build systems that shake themselves apart effectively because you haven't taken account of some of the complexities of that distribution brings with it. So I guess that's another meandering answer that might not have been very specific for you, but there's there's definite drawbacks to building distributed systems with Kafka. It's not a free lunch. And and really that's where operator comes from to a large degree. It's to help teams have confidence in delivering fairly complex systems. We've got a client in Melbourne called Verency. They're a phenomenal team. They're a fintech startup. They work with banks and they do really transactional, high-volume payment processing stuff. And they're a Kafka and Closure shop. They use Operator throughout their setup for their teams. They use it every day. They drop in and have a look at how things are performing, check out some data on topics if they're in a staging environment, that sort of stuff. That's where the products come from. And um, we're only just getting started, really. We've got an enormous backlog. So I'm going to be banging on functions for a very long time, hopefully. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Doesn't it sound wonderful, Dan? It does. It's great. And another project that we we worked on together after I finished on that project, there was a a big spike in the the demands of that system. Do you want to talk a little bit about what happened there? Yeah. So, well, there's an interesting, interesting, I guess, um, backstory to that. So we were working... We were both working for a client that was in uh, the telco email processing space, and they had a you know a relatively small business that was working with sort of mid-level customers. And then all of a sudden, Yahoo blew up like the Death Star, which you might recall. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a technical commercial term for the way it splintered. <laughs> and uh, one of the really interesting things about Yahoo as a company that I'm not sure everyone's aware of is that they were an enormous provider of federated email, of white-serviced email services to ISPs because ISPs will give you a free email address because it will you'll use it and then it's a very sticky thing. You'll probably stay with their service. So our client at the time that we were working with had an opportunity to take on you know nearly a million email accounts or so from Yahoo. And what that meant for their systems that we had been working on, which we had built systems for them for a slightly different purpose, it meant all of a sudden they needed to scale possibly three orders of magnitude. And the architecture that we put in place that we'd started working on in about 2012 was Kafka for Ingress, Apache Storm for distributed computation, and Cassandra for as a distributed database. Because there's no point having a highly available message queue if you don't also have highly available compute and a highly available data store. So and of those three, we still tend to work with Kafka mostly and a bit of Cassandra. And so we we had built these systems that were doing a reasonable amount of load, I guess. And then all of a sudden, they did scale nearly two to three orders of magnitude, probably in the region of about a billion events a month, maybe as many as 20,000 events per second sustained. Um, and the the it did what it said on the tin, right? We added a couple of Kafka brokers, a couple of storm compute nodes and many many <laughs> cassandra nodes more than a couple i think we we had about 20 node cluster or 25 node cluster in production at one point which is enormous for a client of that size and an incredible overhead in terms of managing that it was not hugely enjoyable but it uh, it scaled and that system was written entirely in closure and not only that but it was another i guess firming up of my understanding of benefits of being data oriented is that all of a sudden there was a second purpose 
to the system that had been built that was similar to the first purpose, but different. And this teaches us something that is common in life and in what we do, which is product development. It's not framework development and it's not language development. It's product development is there's almost never one domain model. In fact, if you've got more than one business person <laughs> working on a product, then they both have different conceptions of what they want. And in the future, there will be different people again. So this is one of the reasons that I am um, completely given up on, on object modeling and domain-driven design is it simply doesn't hold true that there is one. Whereas if you keep an immutable time series of all of the facts that have happened through time and you create derivative time series by combining and computing new facts whenever you want to, it turns out that you can maintain the flexibility to create completely new systems from your existing architectures that are accrete only. You know, there's this concept in enclosure mm. that has been raised points it's there's such an affinity between the really bold ideas and closure and the best practices in distributed systems it's it's um it might just be a shallow linkage but it's it's clear to me that they're there and so there's a couple of things that really got drilled home across that project which i've carried with me ever since and that's when you're dealing with distributed systems the primarily most important thing to do is to consider your read paths first which means you're not so concerned about object models and domain models. And secondarily, you should really, if you can avoid it, you shouldn't pre-compute your views. So you should retain your data in its original log format as much as you can, because you you might re-index that log and create new logs. But as long as you haven't made a lossy decision about, I'm going to change this, I'm going to aggregate this sequence of logs into a thing, then um, as long as you retain those underlying logs, you can in the future decide that you need a new thing and you can aggregate that instead. And what's the cost of keeping logs, Dan? It's not very much, mate, to be honest. Mm, you know? No. Disk is pretty cheap. Yeah. If you've got a good system for computing logs, which is Apache Kafka <laughs> distributed compute, you know, and you've got a great data-oriented language perhaps, which isn't really concerned with anything other than the only truths in data, Big bold statements, <laughs> maps and see, just give me maps and sequences and um, Java primitive data types, mate. Turns out that's all you really ever needed. And we've worked on Apache Storm in the past, uh, and doesn't sound like you're using that so much at the moment. No, it's been completely superseded by um, Kafka streams. Right. Yeah, it's almost exactly the same DSL to be honest. Storm has got slightly different characteristics in that it's um, not persistent when you repartition. So it's actually an extremely clever and um, powerful distributed system, probably more powerful than Kafka streams. But Kafka streams works in affinity with Kafka, and it's really that's an enormous advantage. So, but the actual DSL, uh, and this is why Kafka is being used everywhere, right? Because there's a Java DSL for it. It gives Java developers who are legion the ability to build really sophisticated distributed compute. And that DSL is very, very, very similar to Apache Storm. So much so when we dropped Storm for that project that we were both working on and plugged in Kafka streams, I may almost have used the same closure code. <laughs> you know, it's just a little bit of interop. You're calling a slightly different object, but more or less, because we we tend not to do overly complicated things, right? All of these systems provide a number of 
functions, I guess, that you can compose. And we tend to use the particularly vanilla ones. Storm has all sorts of stuff that we never really touched on. That if you are working at a much bigger enterprise with much more data and much more complicated things you were trying to achieve, you probably might still use it. So, But for our purposes and the clients that we work with, Kafka Streams is superb. Great. That's good. So you've kind of got two irons in the fire with Operator and you've still got your consulting company is operating at the same time. Is that right? Yep. We're um, actively working with clients in Melbourne today. We've got a wonderful client who um, quite a large organization that fly airplanes and we work with them. Mm -hmm. And we run a bunch of smaller engagements with clients as they come and go. And I should say only enclosure. We don't work. We've taken one client in four years that wasn't closure. It was a three-month project in Kotlin. They're a team I really respect and admire, um, but they just didn't want to use closure. And it suited us at the time to take that engagement. And you know what happened to them, Dan? What? And they immediately became a, a unicorn. So <laughs> <laughs> shortly after we worked with them, I think they raised about 100 million bucks and um, they've just shot off through the stratosphere. Okay. And I would like to claim that it was our one-person, three-month engagement in Kotlin. When you've been working in Clojure so long, you're, you, know, you almost don't know your own powers. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's, the truth is there may be slightly more to their success than um, a small engagement with us. But other than that, today we um, work with clients in Melbourne and through Australia. And we'll deliver platforms for you in Clojure, if you like, that uh, all the... Um, purpose of them is scale and availability, right? If you want that expertise, you can't, you're going to come and talk to us. We'll run workshops with you. If you don't want us to build the platform for you, we'll build a proof of concept for you in Clojure and your team can take that, run with it, whatever language they like. But if you don't want to work in Clojure, then you'll have to find someone else to work with because my team, they're a phenomenal team. Michal, Tristan and James, I just don't think I could convince them to work in another language, mate, to be honest. They're not interested. <laughs> The reason they work with me is because they wanted to work in closure with distributed systems. <laughs> so, you know, my hands are tied, unfortunately. And how does that conversation go with clients? Are you selling closure at the same time as you're selling your services? Or Yeah, it can be complicated, especially with enterprise clients who, for their own perfectly reasonable point of view, want to work in probably Java or Kotlin for great reasons. It's easier for them to hire talent. They see it as less risk. You know, there's all sorts of reasons that you should choose to adopt another language. For me and my team, the only aspect that I bring is that we're going to do the very best job for you that we can, and that requires that we use the best tools, and Clojure is the best tool for us to use. So we are only really concerned about delivery. That's what we will be judged on. That's what we take value from. That's where we get enjoyment. And so it it really is my way of the highway basically <laughs> if you don't want to work with closure completely understand we'll um, put you in touch with someone else who has a similar skill set you can always work with the second best distributed systems consultancy in australia if you want to um, <laughs> in a different language that is that's your option there <laughs> and some people quite wisely choose to do that but we persist you know it's we're in um, we're coming to the end of year four and most importantly the product has been delivered. This is something that I've had in mind for more than three years. It's enormously exciting to have got it up and available and to have people around the world using it today. And um, did I mention that there's a free trial until December 15th? Then mm. I think I, I may yep. have. That's what you want to work on, right? You want to work on your own problem. Right. 
So we can continue to do consultancy and we will continue to do so all through next year. Uh, we love our clients in Melbourne. They're a superb bunch. The community is phenomenal. But ultimately, long term, yeah, we want to do less consultancy and, and we want to work on operator, simulator and the other tools that will follow shortly. Right. I imagine, you know, you've been working on these, you know, real world large scale projects. You've probably got other products in mind that you'd like to build after this yeah that's right yep we look at how we engage with our clients and we always offer to start with the same thing which is proof of concept that proves out the their barest understanding of the finite state machine that they're going to deliver and that becomes as a real eye-opener because you know we're not interested in anything other than getting data on topics as quickly as possible proving out your assumptions about the system that you're trying to build well, synthetic events, simulation, there's a whole raft of tools that we're going to bring to this space, Dan, that we're very, very excited about. But um, for this year, for today, Operator is the, is the one. Mm -hmm. So in preparation for this, you, you mentioned uh, how you got started with Clojure, which I didn't know. I didn't realize this. I knew you were over in the UK working at banks, but um, <laughs> what's the story there? Well, it's an interesting, it's a short and funny story, so I'll drag it out for as long as possible. But basically, I blundered into it, Dan. So my colleague, Paul, at um, I was working at an investment bank in the UK. He mentioned Clojure to me. We're sitting there pumping out great Java code on a, using Hibernate and all sorts of cool stuff. And um, he's, he mentions this language he's really passionate about. He was always a bit smarter than me, Paul. And um, called Clojure, and he enumerated these advantages. It's, uh, it's very expressive and... Um, and so on and so on. It's just none of it resonated with me at all. Because to be honest, I'm oftentimes not so concerned about the language as I am about the system. I spend a lot, a lot of time thinking about stuff before I ever write code. And I try and encourage my team to write as little code as possible, which is good because Clojure is very expressive anyway. But it just didn't really appeal to me. I had no interest in, um, in joining in the fun. And then um, the lead of the team that I was working adjacent to, he walked over a couple of days later and he started talking with Paul because they're both enthusiasts about how his team was starting to adopt it and, and um, some reasons behind it. And I remember, you know, sort of having a bit of a discussion with this chap about how, you know, I didn't think it was a very good idea. <laughs> responsibility to stay within the frames of, you know, what the bank is seeking to deliver, yada, yada, yada. Well, it turns out that chap who was patiently trying to um, uh, explain the benefits to me was John Pither, who runs <laughs> Just. <laughs> and I'm not sure if he'll remember that, but I often think about, I've always thought, Dan, that the best values you look for in a developer are curiosity and tenacity, right? If you have those things, you're going to read and write a lot of code. And Stephen King teaches us that uh, if you want to be a good author, you just need to read and write a lot of books. And it's just it's ex exactly the same for programming. And at that point, I had lost my curiosity because I had been working in a, a framework of just turning up, earning my crust. And it's a phenomenal job to have, let's say, quite openly, that everybody should be a computer programmer for the enormous benefits that it brings. But I was not in any way curious. This is 10 years ago now, probably. And um, even having Paul and John try and impress upon me the advantages of closure, it was uh, fruitless. And then I, I left London <laughs> and I moved to, I was impervious to their charms. I moved to Melbourne for love, a, a wonderful woman and my COO, uh, Kylie, in both of our companies. And um, I just uh, fell into a job that happened to be doing closure and distributed systems. And then here I am. Great. Well, thanks so much for talking about this. It's good to catch up and hear kind of what, what you've been working on since we 
work together and that was kind of my first my real introduction to like you know serious closure work was was working alongside you so yeah it was a formative moment and i really enjoyed it so yes thanks for coming on and people can check out operator.io and troy west your consultancy if they are interested in uh and working with you more uh, and those links will be in the show notes yeah thanks so much for coming on thank you for having me on dan i've really enjoyed rambling my way through a podcast with you it's great to talk to you again <laughs>